0: Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm
1: Lisa Jo Baker. And today, an old movie and an old book help us decode some of the new and difficult news stories around us. And I'm I'm really grateful.
0: And Lisa Jo, I love that you have embraced the name of artist. <laughs> and I hope after this conversation, our listeners will do the same. Get comfy.
1: Here we go. This is part two of a conversation that began last week, so if you haven't listened to that one, you might want to go back, but we are continuing to have a conversation around the ongoing events to do with a country that I love and lived in for two years, Ukraine, and Peter and I lived in the capital of Kiev, and we have many close friends there. Before we begin today's conversation, I'll simply say we recorded this a couple weeks before it aired, so we recognize that things may have changed in the landscape of the news and what's happening around us. So please just bear that in mind as you listen and maybe just have some grace for this conversation. We are trusting that the Lord knows the timing of it and that what we offer today uh, serves and encourages you as well as honors our friends in Ukraine. So last week we ended by, of course, referencing a book. <laughs> we were <laughs> talking about the Madeline Langell series that begins. The very first one, of course, is, um, A Wrinkle,
0: a Wrinkle in, in Time. time. Mm-hmm. I
1: wanted to say the line, the witch in the wardrobe, but <laughs> <No, laughs> that is not correct. <laughs> a Wrinkle in Time is the first one. If you haven't read that series, it's really, really beautiful. Um, and, and a lot like the Narnia series, there's this whole other, uh, travel to other worlds that that Lengel unpacks. But one of the things she talks about as she's unpacking that is this concept of naming and unnaming things. And what we were talking about at the end of last week's conversation is what war tries to do is to unmake, to unname. And at its basis level, unmake our humanity. And as believers, we believe we are created in the image of Christ. And so, it is as if the enemy is trying to unravel the very DNA, the essence of what makes us not just human, but image bearers of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, when you were talking about Lengel's series and the unnaming, of course, for me, what came to mind was a movie. (laughs) Ah, good, good. (laughs) And I wondered if you have watched with your children or are familiar, Christy, with this pretty old school movie. I tried to watch it with my kids and they were like, whoa, the graphics and special effects are really bad. Like, what is this? But it has stuck with me for years and is more impactful to me as an adult even than as a child. But it's the movie The Never Ending Story. Oh,
0: sure. Yes. We we do enjoy that one as a family. My kids actually rewatched it recently. They
1: did? Yeah. Well, of course, what's happening in that movie is an unmaking, right? There is this magical world that is that is crumbling because there is this darkness that they actually call the nothing that is coming in and consuming this world and slowly bit by bit our favorite characters crumble away out of the world that is a storybook a child is reading a story until the child finds himself in the world and none of the characters are left except the princess who rules the world although i think she's called the empress or the emperor yeah and um And there's just, they're surrounded by space, essentially. There's just black nothingness. And she has a tiny grain of sand. Mm -hmm. That's all that is left of their world. The nothing has taken everything else. And she holds it on her little finger and offers it up to him to essentially wish into existence what the world could be if we were to remake it. And it's this image that has always stuck with me throughout my adult life, the idea of a nothing that wants to eat away at creation versus a God who constantly wants to speak life into creation and how our God only needs a tiny mustard seed-sized faith in order to do that. And so, when we are confronted by real-world nothings, and I think war is one of those things that comes in and— And let me pause to say, I'm not, when I say that, critiquing or criticizing people in the military. We are so grateful for you. I have many friends in the military. We are just outside of D.C. where there are huge military bases. What I'm talking about are the reasons we need a military, the dictators like Putin who want to ignore international law and treaties and come in and just take. They want to consume like a nothing, They want to deconstruct the world that our military has spent so much time protecting and standing up for. So please just hear me as I say that. But when we watch the news and we see what's happening and you know, in these weeks, these intervening days, early days of what's been happening, it's kind of like we're tracking, right? Now they're on the outskirts of Kiev. There've been paratroopers that are 15 miles from Kiev. Like there's this march, what feels like inexorable march of a nothing toward a something that's trying to deconstruct it. And that is where as believers, we try to find language for this because it is the naming of things that removes this enigma of fear from them and helps us decode what's happening because we are created in the image of a God who calls himself the Word. Mm. So, that's what today we want to spend some time here in our regular lives as you're getting ready to make dinner or pick up the carpool and you're trying to figure out what am I doing in this, especially if I'm far away, mm-hmm. sometimes how we think about what's happening is doing something.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to take a leap in the conversation, but I'm going to do it, least Jo, because I think, I think as we keep talking, we will bring these pieces together. And I think you'll track with me if you're not just Say it. Just say, Christy. <laughs> Not tracking. But I've I've been working on a, a project this week, and it has me revisiting some of the writing of Wendell Berry. Do, do you know Wendell yeah. Berry? Yeah. Yeah. So he's a Kentucky farmer, an American writer. He's a poet. He has written fiction and essays, um, and so he is well known as a writer of place. Someone who really values place and caring for places. And if we're talking about making versus unmaking places and naming versus unnaming, he, he definitely comes to mind for me. And I was revisiting some of his work this week and came across a, a quote from him that I hadn't remembered, um, but this is what I, I'm going to say I think is relevant, even though it might feel like a jump here at the beginning of the conversation. But he says um, in an essay, uh, let's see, I, I wonder if I'm going to get it right. He says, um, everyone is an artist, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Everyone is an artist. The question is for him, are you good or bad? Meaning, are you responsible or irresponsible? Mm. Everyone is an artist. But the question is just, you know, how, how responsible are you with that creativity you have? Um, and so I was thinking about that this week and thinking, wow, that's really a very helpful way for me to look at it. What it means is that none of us are off the hook when it comes to being able to participate in the naming and participate in the making. We are all either doing that well and responsibly or we we have somehow like stepped away from our calling, stepped away from our responsibilities as creative humans and and um as if, you know, we're not we're not called to do this. And so in these this situation that we're talking about, where there is there are these destructive forces in the world and in our lives, these unmaking forces, these nothings. And I love that image from that film. I would not have thought of that, but I think that is just really, really appropriate. What I find in Wendell Berry is is this reminder that okay, I may not be a poet like Wendell Berry. <laughs> but I am a human made in God's image. And so, there is something in me that is designed, that is created um, to participate in that work of of Adam and Eve, which was caring for the garden, naming the animals, making that place, tending that place. Um, And and so, that means, yeah, none none of us are off the hook. But if that sounds like Oh, I, I wanted to be off the hook. That's that sounds harsh. I feel like what I want to talk about today, Lisa Jo, is like what a light yoke and easy burden that actually mm. is. Like what a gracious invitation that is, and that really it's an invitation um, into ordinary life, not into what we might think of as art of like, what are you saying? Now I have to create masterpieces that hang on the walls of museums. Like, no, I think if, if that's what we think, then it's just because our idea of art and creativity
1: is uh, flawed, honestly. <laughs> well, I'm glad you say that because I will just say whoever's listening right now who is feels like I did. For years, even someone who's a writer, I would never have described myself as an artist. I really struggled with that. I thought there was a degree of pretension around writers that called themselves artists and took pictures of their notebooks and their cappuccinos at coffee shops. And I would just yeah. want to be like, please get over yourself. Okay. You have a job like everybody else. Lawyers don't sit down and take artistic pictures of their briefs. Okay. Right. Kindergarten <laughs> teachers are just surviving the day. Accountants aren't like, look at my beautiful Excel sheet. Look how artistic it is. I mean, maybe they are, but you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. I had to realize, oh, wait, I'm, I'm sure there are people who are pretentious when they talk about being artists, but at a base level, and this is what I love about our God—he's a God of mud and dirt and trees. Like He builds out of these things. This is His material. Like we are artists in that sense. Like we are people who create. We do what He invited us to to do in the beginning—to to take His world, to subdue it, to. To multiply in it. And so whether that looks like being, you know, a kindergarten crossing cop or a doctor or a podiatrist or a chef or a writer or a mom raising humans or a grandpa who's at a nursing home, you know, taking care of his good friends who come down for meals with him. I have finally got on board with understanding what it means to call that being an artist. It's not because we're making something pretentious that's going to hang in a museum. It's because it's the nature of God in us. And what helped me get there is there is this quote by Kurt Thompson, who is a, a Christian therapist. And he recently wrote a book about this idea of us being artists, us being people who love to create beauty and he said this, which was really powerful. He said, this was in an interview, a podcast interview. We'll make sure we link it. Um, and it was a podcast interview with a singer. So of course, it's a really interesting conversation between the two of them. He said, we are people of great longing and we long to be known in order to create things. It is in our DNA to create things. And this is what surprised me, Christy. We don't want to create things of mediocrity. We want to create things of great beauty. But evil, or the nothing is what I would call it, wants to disrupt all of that. And in that trauma, we become people of great grief. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? And oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a song I've listened to my whole life that I love so much. And when I heard Kurt say that... Um, I was like, oh my gosh, I finally understand why I love this song so much because we'll, don't worry, we'll link it in the show notes. It's so great. So it's by an artist called Tim Be Told. And he has, I'll read the first verse and then the chorus because every time I, listen to it, I want to cry. And I've always wondered, why do I feel so strongly about this? It's so weird. But it says this, climb this ladder if you can, lay waste the dreams and plans you planned, and all you had to do was sing. Think of the joy that you could bring. So I sang every rung at the top of my lungs, but no one's ever listening. And then the chorus says, because I'm too young to call it a day, and I'm too old to make any more mistakes. And can I make something beautiful just one before I die, give me one chance to try. And for me, that resonates with what Kurt is saying: that whatever your art looks like, whether it is launching this business you've always wanted to launch, or you know, developing a child that you're struggling with, or holding on to that marriage that really matters to you, or casting pots on a wheel, there's something in us desperate to. to get it right to create something meaningful something lasting and it's, it's this terrible ache that i fear all the time oh my gosh i I'm, I'm not going to get it and i'm going to die and i won't have done it and i know that was a big interruption in where you were going but i just had to put Mm-mm, that out yeah. there for anyone who feels like i'm not an artist i'm telling you you have that longing in your heart for something that you want to matter so badly yeah. that is the artist in you crying out
0: yeah oh no i think that's excellent something Beautiful, something excellent. And you're right. It may not, it might be a painting. It might be a poem, um, but it might be a, a great business. It might be a really exquisite math. It might be a spreadsheet, which right. is so hard for me to understand, but I believe. I think it could be a spreadsheet. Your husband creates <laughs> artistic spreadsheets. I am oh, not he gonna does. lie. It's he true. Really does. If I ever need a spreadsheet, I go to him and they'll they'll be <laughs> just you know exactly right. It's true that there's a creativity and an art uh, in that as well. Yeah, so no, I think this is is absolutely central to this conversation, is like this is how we're all made. And how important it is to pay attention to that longing and to pay attention to that ache and i th- i think also it's why these these current events that we're talking about i mean there's many reasons why they grieve us but part of the grief is is this like we we, we were not made to be in a world that's crumbling like we were not made to be People who are crumbling. Like right. we were made for a garden. We were made for life and life abundant and life eternal. And so, when we see the opposite, when we see you know the world moving in another direction, when we see when we witness unmaking and unnaming, it it sh- it grieves us and it should grieve us. It it should really grieve us. And and I think I don't know. I, I understand the temptation to say, well. I don't know. It's not. It's over there. It's not here. There's nothing I can do. Uh, I don't know. We have a lot of platitudes, I think, as Christians that we pull out on occasions like this, like, well, we live in a fallen world. Well, we're all sinners. Well, this earth is not our home. And while all of these platitudes might be absolutely true, um, unfortunately, I think what they do is they sort of smooth us past the moment, and the moment is asking us to grieve. Because if we're willing to grieve, then we're able to see and name, oh, this is wrong. This isn't right. How can I live in a way that opposes this? How can I live in a way that is living, <laughs> you know? And so, to not move too quickly past this. And I, I'll be honest, I've been tempted, Lisa Joe, with the news. Um, I've been tempted to just turn away and and not... Not absorb, and it's okay to turn away somewhat. But I've been tempted to just like not absorb any of it. Just thinking like I can't take on any more painful stories right now. I've I've felt that temptation, Um, but I think that there can be a missed opportunity there as well to 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 remember again why I am making the choices I'm making, why I am living the life I'm living, the, the the opportunity to like recommit to living a fully alive, creative life. Um, I think that we have that opportunity now to remember, oh yes, this is why it matters. I think, so here's another book for the conversation. I often think of the first Darnia book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When that that moment, when Edmund and the witch are are sort of realizing that that the witch's side is losing and Aslan is coming and the snow is melting and Father Christmas has come. So the tide is turning and then they see those little animals feasting in the forest. And everything about their feast, everything about their celebration, which really is pretty ordinary it was it 's just some friends gathered around a table making a toast, but everything about that is so offensive to the witch is so it 's like an act of war they 've declared against her and and she calls it treason. you know this is treason, and she she turns them into stone um, and I think cs Lewis wrote that because that is true in our own world that living well, living beautiful lives, with beautiful relationships that have days of working and resting and playing and feasting and grieving, that's, a, you know, lamenting, that's a part of life too, that all these ordinary rhythms of our days um, are, are ways of like actively naming and actively making that resist these, these forces of evil in our world that, that we're seeing um, in our headlines today.
1: You know, it's interesting, of course, I too have a Lewis quote to add to the pot because I saw a beautiful post on Instagram by Timothy Willard, who has wonderful um, sort of spiritual formation he offers. And he writes a lot about beauty, and he actually references an essay that Lewis wrote called Learning in Wartime. And I wanted to just read what Timothy actually writes about Lewis's piece, because it's really powerful. He says, I must always remind myself to remain calm and let peace rule in my heart when calamity strikes. It's not easy to do. But if we don't cling to the virtues that make us human, we devolve into beasts of worry and fear, which have no place in the kingdom of God but there is an alternative, the mindful Christian. This approach digs into the task at hand while keeping a wise eye on current events. It searches for ways to bring hope and the vision of God into the lives of friends and families. It searches out ways to ease the suffering of those most affected. It understands the fleeting nature of life, something that the psalmist reflects on often, and seizes the now as glory moments given to God through Sacred living. Lewis, having fought in a war, I don't know, listeners, if you realize that Lewis fought in one of the world wars. Lewis, having fought in a war, reminded readers that the closer one gets to the front lines, the more one remembers all the things about life that make it worth living. And beauty belongs to them all. He reminds readers that it is in this time of calamity more than ever. That we need to pursue the things that make humanity wonder-filled.
0: Oh, so good! That line, beasts of worry and fear, yeah. as opposed to to being fully human as we're created to be. It's incredible. I remembering as well, Lisa Joe, when I was growing up, um, like the word human or being a the like living into your your full humanity. That wasn't something that inspired me. I just i I think it's just taken a lot of spiritual growth to to realize what it meant that that Jesus became incarnate as a human and how like the honor he brought to humanity in that the full redemption he brought to humanity so that to be human means to be like Christ now and and it is like the most beautiful excellent thing we can aspire to but just using that word it didn't used to mean that to me but now it does and so to see that comparison between you know what it means to be a mindful christian and a human versus a beast of worry and fear oh i don't want to be that i absolutely don't want to be that gosh that's gorgeous i love that from tim
1: yeah yeah we'll we'll link it in the show notes so you can go and see and um it is helpful to have artists and uh, spiritual leaders and musicians leading us, something else that has been really helpful to me this last week, and we'll link it in the show notes, is um, not just the Book of Common Prayer, which we've actually done episodes and shared about. But an artist took the Book of Common Prayer and set some of those prayers to music. And that has been really meaningful to me this last week, particularly. So it's called The Songs of Common Prayer. How wonderful is that, right? The Songs of Common Prayer. And it is by, I want to make sure I say Greg Follette. Mm-hmm. um we'll link that so you can listen as well but i've just had that on especially the one that's called we cried Mer- we cry mercy and maybe you've heard this prayer lord have mercy lord have mercy on us and Often when I don't have my own words, when I don't know what to pray and I feel overwhelmed, it's really helpful to go to the Psalms. David always had a lament or the musicians who are setting these universal prayers to music. That's what's really helped as well. The sense of community that prayers like from the book of common prayer are being prayed by people all over the world because they are common. (laughs) We have them in common with one another. They unite us. They create a sense of community to pray through them together. When I don't have the words. So having music, prayers, um, and then the routine of home. It's strange how meaningful that has been. So I can think about my friend Zina. In Ukraine and in Kiev, but I know she's making coffee in the morning and I'm making coffee and she is reading stories with her kids or she posted that her, since her kids aren't able to be at school right now, they're catching up on homework. And then she put like, since they have a lot of time to do that now, you know, she's still mothering in the midst of seeking out bomb shelters. And it's hard for my mind to conceive of it. The news becomes overwhelming. It's so much input, so much stimulus, so much trauma. But if we can pick out individuals and their stories and remember what we have in common, then we aren't reduced to just sort of a nothingness of worry and blind panic that can make us feel like beasts instead of humans, if we can hold on to what we have in common and what we have in common at the base core of humanity that we have in common with Christ is we eat and we drink and we have friends and we have community and we have worship and we have prayer. They're doing that in Kiev and we're doing it here. The enemy wants to tell us in a time of war, those are the least important. They're so small, you're doing nothing. And that is a lie. When you are doing those things, you are in a place of of walking out what Christ himself did when he was here in his moments of greatest sorrow. The night before he died, he sat down, he ate dinner, he was with his friends, he prayed, they read from Scripture, they sang a song before they went out. I've always thought we skip over that part, but isn't that interesting that they sang together and then they went out to the Mount of Olives and then he prayed more and said he wanted his friends to pray with him. So, when you do those things, when you pray with your friends, when you eat, when you are sorrow-filled and you share those with Christ, those are not the nothing. Those are acts of creation that is art that pushes back against the darkness because you yourself are God's walking creation, His work of art. You model Him in every step you take on your completely ordinary Wednesdays. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. I. Yeah, it's in those simplest things, right? So I'm remembering I, I recently um gave a talk about, of all things, placemaking in Narnia.
1: Oh yes. Let's <laughs> yeah, go there. it was a
0: lot of fun. Uh, you know, some unexpected things that I found. But um in preparing for the talk, I was just really reminded that that um the Narnia, the whole Narnia series begins with war and begins mm-hmm. with displacement. So, um, if right. you remember the plot, and and of course, this would have been very recent history for C.S. Lewis, because the first Narnia book, I, I believe, was written during the early 50s. Um, it may have, maybe he even started it earlier. Anyway, it was very soon after World War II. So, the story begins with the fact that the children have been sent to the country because bombs are falling on London. So, they were part of that you know, exodus of of children from the city and they went to stay with the professor in the country. And that is what sends them off on these adventures. It's this experience of losing home and of displacement. And then what happens next? They literally go deeper and deeper into that home, the professor's home, because we know they never actually leave the wardrobe. <laughs> they just go deeper into it and, and enter um, Narnia. And so I was really struck um, as I was preparing the talk about like the world reality that was the context for this story of like of the kind of this ultimate place making um, that that Lewis does through these books, and that this was the context. And I in doing the research, I even pulled up images of air raid shelters from World War II. And of course, we're thinking about this now as well, because like you said, you have friends who are are taking shelter in Ukraine. Um, But I picked up these images and I was struck by how much, in a weird way, they sort of echoed or were echoes of Tumnus' cave. Which oh, in wow. the first book is like this. It's Lucy's first introduction to Narnia. It's this like emblem of like a, a haven and a safe place. Um, the cave is it had it in that in this sense. It's like it's like a, sh- a air raid shelter, but but it has been made into a home. And there's evidence all around of art and culture. The books on the shelf that we hear about the the pictures that are on the wall. Um, and then, of course, the devastation when the White Witch, you know, finds out um, what Tumnus has done, and comes and turns him into stone, and and just the desecration of his little cave home. But in in giving this talk, I put those images next to each other um, because it's like they were echoing one another. But one was sort of showing what was possible um, that we can we can take a space. And uh, in our own naming and making and creativity, like we can turn it into home. And how Lucy found here, Lucy, you know, who had been displaced from home, kind of found um, a very English kind of home in that in that mm. cave in Narnia. Um, and I just, when things sort of, I think of that as like a rhyme. You know, those things were just those images were rhyming. These air raid shelters, which are places of just absolute necessity and grief. But here it's rhyming with this cozy, cozy home that that Tumnus had made. It's it's almost like Lewis is just using like transfer paper, tracing paper to sort of put one over the other to show us like what is possible even in a time of war, even in a time of violence. And I think that's where, like, that's where he leaves us to say that even in a time of war, actually, especially in a time of war, the simplest things matter more than ever. The the preparing of toast, the eating of sardines, (laughs) if that's appealing to you, I don't know. Uh, The sharing of tea and to know that like is treason, which was like an act of resistance against the witch and and um, everything she stood for was as simple as like sharing a conversation with a friend around the fire. Like that's how radical it was. It was just a conversation with a new friend around the fire. And to believe that when we do that, like it has a similar power, our family dinners, our tea with friends, um, our beauty making and place making and storytelling and music making um, has that that same power because it participates in this divine creative energy that is Jesus Christ and i don't know it's funny i feel like sometimes maybe the wisest stories are the wisest lessons we find them in the children's tales and the fairy tales and and that's why we return to them again and again they're they're just so true
1: I think about jesus saying that right to we need to be like little children in order to receive him yeah. to really grasp yeah. the gospel and I'm grateful that I get to have these conversations with you. I'm grateful for their ordinary rhythm that somehow is always so extraordinary. My mind is always enlarged and my heart also and then my stomach too because I always want to go and eat and drink after we are on a conversation and we pray for those of you listening that this may have been a small beacon of hope in the midst of what feels like a nothing, just a reminder that it isn't. Like we are in the kingdom of God. It is it is it is here and now. Jesus said it himself. And so we believe that the light will continue to shine in the darkness. And you, you, dear listener, you are part of the light. Shine on, do the dishes, invite a friend over, make a phone call, share a post, spread a news article that matters. All of those small acts are a treason against the darkness and an act of light in the middle of a stormy night.